Hey everyone, welcome to Turnbuckle Boogie. I am Timothy Styles, and with me is Cutthroat Cody Hancock. That is I, sir. And uh, I just want to quickly mention, before the show starts, uh, well, a couple things. First and foremost, we are recording this one week in advance. So, if there's been a nuclear bomb that has dropped... Uh, in the- so long... <laughs> It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't know about it, and that's why we're not talking about it. Yes, sir. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that nothing uh, particularly interesting has happened in the, the two weeks between the recording and the airing of this episode. But uh, so be it. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is if you care to support the show right now, a good way to do it is simply follow us on Instagram. If you have an Instagram account at Turnbuckle Boogie. Hey, we do this for you free of charge. No ads, no Patreon. And Cody is a professional wrestler and trainer over at FSW, Future Stars of Wrestling in Las Vegas. Cody, tell them about it. So if you are interested in seeing my body of work along with my tag team partner, Jay Cafe, a.k.a. Jacob Austin Young, subscribe to the Future Stars of Wrestling Network, fswnetwork.com, and we do have an app available for Apple and Android advice, uh, devices. On that note, let's boogie! So, uh, recently, you know, I was chilling out on the couch in the living room and I was scrolling through, I think it was Hulu. And, um, I happened to see the documentary on David Arquette. You can't kill David Arquette. Yes. I believe that's word for word what it's called. And, you know, I've known about this thing for what it's been a couple of years, I think, at this point, right? Yes, sir. And and I've not been in any hurry to see it for reasons that if you are a previous listener of the show, you would know very obviously, but I'll I'll, uh, explain. I am not a fan of modern day... uh, Hardcore wrestling, we'll call it, um, or garbage wrestling, or whatever words that you want to use. Um, I think it's gotten to the point of, of mild ridiculousness. Excess. You know, yeah. I mean, look, it makes sense that if you're in a, a bingo hall to reach underneath the ring and pull out a table because it's a bingo hall. Of course, there's going to be tables around and you got to put them away while you're having your wrestling show. So it makes sense. But it does not make sense to me to reach under the ring and pull out a hollow core door with a, without the doorknob on it. Yes. <laughs> Unless you walked into the arena and went, hey, where'd the door go? <laughs> we had to take it off. We had to take it off. There's just too many people. Well, yep. <laughs> but and that's, then, the, that's the justification now. We finally it, figured it out. Uh, Someone take it, please, and make sense of your stupid shit. <laughs> God damn it. But uh, but also incandescent light tubes and the, the neglect of just mercury going into the air. I don't know if any of these pro wrestlers know anything about Mad Hatters. 
Mm-hmm. The term mad as a hatter. Yep. Because making hats, you had to use mercury and they would go nuts. People who made hats, you know, over a hundred years ago. So imagine you're in a, uh, let's say CZW, my favorite uh, punching bag. <laughs> These people are breathing mercury all the fucking time. It's wild that it's not occurred to them that uh, they might end up with some fucking goofy individuals yeah, on man. their roster. Anyways, besides the point, because this is a point of contention between the two of us. I wouldn't necessarily say contention. Well, okay. So here's, here's, I think we can agree on a lot of stuff. Yes. But you do, you do have a certain amount of acceptance and we agree on the fact that when used in moderation, it can be good. Yes. You know, I suppose I'm a little bit more old school in that I think if you're having a pay-per-view or some big show, the end of a blood feud uh, to draw a little juice is okay. Yeah, man. You know, Um, but pulling out, you know, a pizza slicer and a cheese grater like you just got off a shift at Pizza Hut is fucking pretty wacky. Mamma mia. You know, when a fucking exacto blade is enough. (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks, New Jack. Yeah, thanks. Rest in peace, buddy. Yes, sir. But- I was never in a really rush to watch this documentary because I knew that a, a good portion of it revolved around him going in to uh, CZW, essentially, or, or GCW. Yes. Um, but on this particular day, I was bored and I said, all right, let's see what's up with it. <laughs> it was not bad it was uh, as far as documentaries goes it was pretty par for the course it didn't i wouldn't call it a documentary because because a, a lot of it's a work well yeah you could tell that a lot of the scenes were refilmed with um almost a whimsical outlook like it was very obvious like the scene in mexico specifically when he was doing his lucha training right. he was already getting the hurricane rana down right and it was just I think that he documented his struggles, right? But it was not happening as it was happening, right? And right. But the one thing that I will say this, I'm going to give you a couple little positive things about David Arquette real quick. I'm not anti-David yeah. Arquette, by of, the way. Of course. But just I would like to commend him for the fact is, is that he cared enough to try his absolute best to go through every single avenue of what he felt that professional wrestling was. Right. And one of the, like one of the big things was the Lucha training, you know, like in the, the doing street Lucha and things of that. Which by the way, I, you know, I don't like to admit when I don't know stuff, I did not, it makes sense though. I did not realize these motherfuckers have to make a, a, a uh, little extra scratch by uh, fucking doing Hurricane Rana in the middle of intersections. There's actually some spectacular videos of street lucha. Like that's that was not a fabricated thing. That's a real fucking no, thing. No, that's why I say yeah. I, it makes sense. As someone who's been to Mexico, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they? Right. When you can buy a fucking luchador mask on every corner. Absolutely. And then also the fact that he sought out actual, real, solid, fundamental training, you know, and coming from somebody that has done, I, I would call my stuff hardcore. Sure. I have not done a death match. However, uh, you've not done a death match. I have never been in a match that has involved light tubes. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're in a match that involves light tubes, that That, constitutes that as a death match. Yeah. But you have done, you have 
done. What was the funny bone match Thumb that tacks. you had? Thumbtacks. Yep. Bloodletting. Yes. There was a cage involved. I lost you a, know, I what, lost a lot of blood in that match. A lot, yes. Yeah. And I mean, but what constitutes a death match in today's day and age? To me, I think it's the choice of weaponry. Like I think so thumbtacks were being used by Mick Foley in WWE. You know, like when you talk about light tubes and hypothermic needles and razor wire as, as opposed to barbed wire and stuff like that. Have you ever touched or seen razor wire? I've I've seen razor wire. I haven't touched it, though. Just to be clear, I used to be in the military. Razor wire is not. Um, how can I explain this so that people can understand it? The it looks like a, a whole series of razors. They're not sharp. On the long flat, you know, imagine something like this. Sorry, yeah. folks, you're not going to be able to get this. Just Google search razor wire and then uh, so on imagine the long looking at it. Flat on the long flat side of these little barbs. Mm-hmm. That is not a razor. It's just that it comes to very fine points. Very sharp points. Yes. It's far sharper than barbed wire. Right. Far sharper. And I mean, yeah, they're like essentially tiny little knives. Yep. And so I think that anything that was used in ECW, there was there was one match that they used razor wire and Tommy Dreamer took a spine buster from C.W. Anderson during like a last man standing or an I quit match, which was actually pretty cool. Um, Not the spot itself, but the actual match. But when you went to the evolution of hardcore wrestling into ultra violent wrestling, I had to describe this to my fiance the other day is the difference between hardcore is hardcore is chairs and kendo sticks and sometimes maybe thumbtacks and cookie sheets and cookies. Yeah. Thing. Oh man. Stop signs. Yeah. So that's, (laughs) that's hardcore, right? Leonard Cohen albums. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nintendos. Yeah. So (laughs) I love fucking love Leonard Cohen, but the, the shit people used to bring to fucking ECW rings, yeah, is frying so, pans. So wild. Do you know why computer keyboards that all that shit got brought? Yeah, fans bring the weapons. No, because there was an appliance store right next door. Not even appliance, better because yeah, they would have you know people would be bringing shit and just handing it over, and then once they were like, yeah, bring shit, and maybe one of the wrestlers will use it. People would just buy this shit at the shop ne- that's connected to the the ECW arena. So that shop must be closed down. Yeah, yeah, it's that, because I've been to the ECW arena twice, mm-hmm. and Tony Luke's is near the ECW arena. Which, God bless Tony Luke's. If you're looking for a cheesesteak, fuck Pat's, fuck Geno's. Tony Luke's is where to go. I'm interested in cheesesteaks at all times. Yes, sir. <laughs> But uh, tell, continue your difference on hardcore and deathmatch. So going on to deathmatches, that's when you have the introduction of light tubes and cactuses and weed whackers and like. All right, a, then I'm officially not a fucking fan. Yeah. In any context. Yeah. There is no. Uh, once again, there has to be some sort of logic that goes into this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? I suppose I understand a kendo stick, mm-hmm. despite the fact that, you know. Anytime someone reaches under the ring and comes out with a kendo stick, it's like, where did that come from? Well, because was there a fucking ninja here earlier? Yeah, I was about to say they were practicing their martial arts before the show started. <laughs> like, you know, but obviously. But there is no excuse. Uh, I guess I understand light tubes. You could just pull them right out of the ceiling. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that it has to be some sort of practical thing. But when it becomes this exotic thing where someone pulls out a cactus, it's like, 
All right, we have we or hypodermic needles yeah, or no, no. road pylons and sledgehammers yes. or weed whackers or like I say the pizza cutter. Uh, this is just an exhibition of bloodletting, and I find that sort of level of bloodlust to be gross. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I understand wanting to see a little juice to jump your your feud into mm-hmm. overdrive. Yeah. Um, but to just see how much can I bleed before I have to be rushed off to the hospital is fucking stupid poor people fucking behavior. Yeah. And unfortunately Sorry, it's not that yeah. I'm rich. I just find it's a good it's a good watermark to, well, to put on there. But for myself that's something that I could see myself doing it. And for myself that's a thing is, is that I'm not saying that I would do it for a substantial period of time, but you know, rumor is, is that apparently GCW is coming to Vegas and, uh, I'm going to be on that card. Right. And, and you're the closest thing they have to a, 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 a death match icon. Yes. And it's just, it's a shame uh, to me personally. Yeah. You know, uh, to, to think that, to bring up the match I brought up earlier, you versus cutthroat Cody Hancock versus funny bone in this cage with the thumbtacks and all this stuff, you which know, can I've, be seen on YouTube. Right. I mean, I've seen you have a dollar bill stapled to your chest and probably face for all I know. Yes, sir. Um, you know, to say that, Oh, well that stuff is not hardcore enough is a depth of, of which I am not interested in, in seeing. And it's not because I'm mature. I just find it to be uh, not distasteful, but just gr- uh, gross. And uh, I mean, honestly, like less it, it is right. like, I mean, like there's, there's my stance will never be defending it. I understand. Yeah. My stance will never be defending it. However, I can understand the sensationalism of it because also there was a period of time that I was learning how to hammer nails in my face to join a freak show. Right. You know, I learned how to breathe fire. I didn't learn how to eat fire, but I, I know how to spit fireballs. I know how to fart fire, bro. If I get the right kind of chicken wings, watch out. Yeah. Hey now, (laughs) but so I understand, uh, the culture. I understand the um, sensationalism. I understand the adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. and I, however, as much as I understand it, it's not justifying it, but I'm capable of doing it. Well, here's the funny thing is that you can make an argument that, um, blood sport is more dangerous because you got guys out there shooting or quasi shooting Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and you and i both know the real truth is that oftentimes there's nothing more dangerous that you can bring to a ring than uh a capable wrestler's two hands absolutely you know what i mean if davy boy smith jr gets a fucking hold of you you'd wish he had a fucking pizza cutter i man davy boy smith jr is like one of the unsung heroes of the modern if that guy Resurgence. gets a hold of you and lets you know it's stretch time, yep. you might as well just pass out now because you're gonna. Yeah. It's just a it's a resurgence in that style. And the thing is, is that um, there is a resurgence in the popularity of the UWF uh, I style 
shoot matches, right? Work shoot matches. There is a resurgence. Pan crazy. Pan, yeah. yeah. Um, there's also resurgence for the deathmatch scene. Right. And but but the point I was getting at yeah. is that ironically, I probably I would I like death matches or not death matches, but uh blood sport matches, as you know. Mm-hmm. You know, the pancreas style, the more realistic, the better. At least it's logical. And I think most people understand that this shit is probably arguably even more dangerous, but less risky. Yes. Than what goes on in death matches. Because look, the, this conversation started with the fact that I was watching the David Arquette documentary. And I mean, this motherfucker takes a shiv to the neck. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the jugular. And the thing that happened with that is that um, David Arquette was not mentally prepared to step into that realm, but he did it because he pressured himself because he thought, well, if I do this, people will actually respect me as a pro wrestler now. And then even going back to kind of have a a little laughing note, one of the first things that David Arquette decided to do on his crusade to be taken seriously as a pro wrestler was show up to some kid's backyard show. Is this an NWO fest we got going on here or what? I think the new world order is in mass confusion here. I don't know. We knew that going into the the night here, guys. But now we got the other half of the outsiders. Well, we just saw the show of support from Scott Hall for Hollywood Hogan. How come they're not coming out together? There you go. That's a survey. That was from Lodi, for goodness sake. Yeah, but at least he was right. I tell you, Kevin Nash, the last time we saw him was a jackknife powerbomb at the hands of the Giant. And now I'm sure he's got something to say about what went down a couple of weeks ago. You know, Randy Savage, You run your mouth saying Hogan's got no allies. You three guys want a war tonight? You got one. Hollywood Hogan, I'll tell you something right now. Your enemies, my enemies. You'll never have a friend like me. And Giant, I haven't forgotten about Philadelphia, big man. Yeah, neither have we. I still feel the pain in my back. But they say pain can be very cleansing. Well, big boy, it's sold out. You're going to feel like you've been detailed. You challenge us, fellas. All you've done is unify us even more. 
Because as it's been said a million times, when you're NWO, you're NWO. Anytime, boys. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is the reason why I started talking about this. And this is going to, we're going to completely abandon backyard and garbage wrestling shit altogether after this. Yeah. Because there's a scene. He goes to, you know, he gets booked, quote unquote, you know. Brother. <laughs> brother, brother. To appear at uh, a show. He arrives and realizes it's in someone's backyard. And then they then fill him in on, there's no one here. It's just the camera's. And 10 um, sad, sad people. Yep. <laughs> Just hanging out. Boy, I'll tell you what. They've got a ring out there. And it's, 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 and not one of these people is what I would consider in ring shape. Yeah. And specifically one guy who has uh, the physique of Harmar Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> And wearing a vest with no shirt underneath, he proceeds to uh, tell the camera that uh, he's going to teach David or a kid a thing or two about respect for the industry. You know, we come out here day after day and we put in the hard work. And and by the way, this guy's leaning a ladder up against a tree. Yep. (laughs) I thought it was one of the most, most comical scenes i've ever seen in any movie yeah and i don't think that hardcore wrestling fans or even particularly deathmatch or backyard wrestling fans would see the irony in what this idiot was even saying well and that's always been my biggest gripe with backyard wrestling is is that you have these people and i remember when i first started training i was uh, kind of brought in by um Funny Bone and Matt Hampton and Matt Hampton was somebody who it was incredible physically the things that he could do. He was the first person I ever saw do a shooting star leg drop in person, but yet he was very he wasn't in the best shape. Mm -hmm. He was very much a Kevin Owens. But physically, his concept of body control came from being a gymnast from when he was young and doing studio martial arts. Right. And, you know, Matt and Funny Bone, they kind of beat the shit out of me, you know, and but it wasn't to the point of like injury or anything like that. But they had some rugged training and I did learn a lot from the two of them. However, um, Matt, for some reason, just had a had some personal issues with people who he just couldn't get like a solid booking. And there was a, some backyard companies that were running in town. Right. And another student of Matt's. A little Moon Pie. Yes. Matt was involved with Moon Pie. Right. For sure. One of the worst wrestling yep. experiences I ever had well, watching one of these backyard ass. Yep. So past that, right? Past all the Moon Pie stuff, there was another gentleman named Isaac, who was also trained by Funny Bone and Matt Hampton. And Isaac is still a friend of mine. But he is like, you know, I can already get you some bookings. And it was, I was still like really, really young in, right? right? I had just started my training. And then I'm like, okay, well, let me look 
and see what this promotion is. And then I found out it was just a backyard promotion that was <laughs> be, being ran in the front of Andy Caps, which was a bar down here in Vegas. Oh, I remember that place. Yeah. Yes. So, and I just like, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to be involved in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I end up interacting with some of these people and you hear their stories of why they can't sign up to a proper wrestling school. Well, you know, I got a bum shoulder, but your shoulder is good enough to let your friend who is an untrained wrestler drop you on your shoulder and head. Right. right? And like, Oh, well, you know, like I like, and it's just always some excuse, but then you'll spend your money on buying a wrestling ring and buying gear and things like that. To me, one of the most important things was, and we both backyard wrestled. We've talked about it before. We don't need to go into too long of detail about our time at backyard wrestling. I think it, there's a point in time that everyone does it. Right. And then there's a choice that happens in someone's life to where they, desu- they decide, I want to pursue this to its fullest extent, or I want to Keep fantasize. dicking around for a little bit. Yeah, I want to live a fantasy. Because- this might be the most important thing CM Punk ever said in anything he's ever done. You know, uh, in that uh, WWE produced, uh, uh, we'll call best it best in the world. Yeah, the you know, um, and that he said, you know, when they were doing their backyard thing, yeah, it's cute and all, but I want to get to that next step. I really love this, and I think a lot of people probably gave him shit for that. Yep, uh, like he was your sellout. Yeah, punk. Yeah, ironically, yes, <laughs> for actually wanting to get better in his trade. Where are those people now? Yeah. And look what he accomplished. And that's, there's something to be said about it. it. There absolutely is. So, and there's a backyard wrestling uh, kid that follows me on the internet, and he he does train. Like I see videos of him doing push-ups and sit-ups, and I interact with him, and he's still kind of young. And where he's located in the world, uh, it's like one of the only spots that doesn't have anything consistently happening. And I just keep on telling them like, dude, like just get real training one day and be safe and have fun. I can understand having fun. But when you talk about the industry, you don't know what the industry is because you, you refuse to actually participate in it. So go fuck yourself for saying something like that. Right. Like you were out of your fucking element and how passionate are you? If you're not willing to fucking watch what you eat and fucking actually fucking get in the gym and fucking work out. Bro, I can drive fast. I would not propose that I can get into NASCAR. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if you're serious about something, fucking get into it. Yes. And, and doing the shit on your own without some skilled person, Uh, In your backyard. It it don't count. To me, that's insulting. And also very dangerous. Yes. I mean. Look at the fucking dude that broke both of his fucking legs. Woo! Oh, my God. (laughs) This motherfucker. Oh, all right, folks. I got to describe this video on. on Everyone's seen it, but please do. Okay. This guy. All right. So it's some homegrown backyard ass horse shit where all of a sudden the NWO music is playing. And there's a big fat referee with a referee shirt standing in this supposed ring. <laughs> and out comes this guy wearing a wolf pack t-shirt. Yep, the black uh, black and red. Yeah, comes out and he's hooping and hollering for the 10 people there. And he gets up on the second turnbuckle and he's going, yeah, I'm the shit or whatever. And then he turns and jumps. With his legs hyper extended the way they were locked as he was descending yeah. from the second when you turnbuckle. Just, when you just... You know, and he only dropped 
uh, what, to the second turnbuckle is two feet, three feet. Yep. And this guy lands and both of his legs snap in two and go, they bend the opposite of the direction your knees bend. Mm -hmm. And he just goes over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh because this guy apparently is uh, handicapped for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, And we'll have to, you know, retrofit his house for a wheelchair. Um, But he goes down and immediately, I mean, you know, when you get a a lot of pain like that, yeah, car accident style pain, bro, it is, it is unbearable until shock takes over and you just pass out. This guy is out of control, wailing, and the ref just looks at him and... (laughs) He doesn't check out of it all. He just like, uh, and, and, and that's <laughs> oh the thing. And so, and as much as I feel bad, why can't you laugh at this shit? Like me, this is yeah. fucking hysterical. Well, it, it, but the part of it is, man, is that if you're going to have fun, have fun. But the whole entire narrative that was spun after that is, like, Oh, well he was just trying to live out his dreams. Was he really trying to live out his dreams? He's living out of yeah. fantasies, right? He was. Yeah, he, it, it's like, a fantasy if you can't make it a reality. It's called a fucking delusion, right? right? And I'm tired of catering to delusional people. Right. I don't want to cater to delusional people anymore because I have to deal with them far too much. Like I don't right. want to do it. So you are to the unknown listener a trainer at FSW in Las Vegas. Not and only am I a trainer, man, but I'm a reputable, reputable trainer. Despite the fact I have not had a major contract. Right. Karrion cross first day NXT heavyweight champion. His first day was with me. Right. Chris Bay impact wrestling. One of the hottest things going on the, I would say scene right. first day was with me. There's a laundry list of other people that I have helped. Katie Forbes, Rob Van Dam's wife, when she needs help, she gets a hold of me. Right. But the point is, is um, <laughs> you have, unfortunately, the person who owns the organization, mm-hmm. they don't discriminate if your money is green. Correct. So you come in there with delusions and you have to then deal with these people and and try to point them in the right direction. And oftentimes, you know, we've talked about the Kevin Owens defense. Yes. Hey, man, you're fat and out of shape. Well, Kevin Owens. OK, whatever. You well, Kevin keep Owens that? wasn't always fat and out of shape, though. Right. There exactly. was a point in time when Kevin Owens was Kevin Steen and his name was Mr. Wrestling. And even though he's, uh, quote unquote, out of shape, he moves as good, if not better, than people who are physically in shape because of, at this point, well over 16 years of in-ring conditioning. Go back to Matt Hampton real quick, just to bring him up. He was somebody that, at the time that I met him, it was so crazy to see what he could do. But years prior to him gaining some pudge, yeah, he was almost an Olympic-level athlete. Right. You don't just get to be a pile of mashed potatoes and get scooped out of a bowl onto a counter. And then all of a sudden you're the steak. Right. Right. You have to have some form of athleticism before you have that. Right. And I deal with delusional people on a consistent basis. Right. Come in. I want to be a pro wrestler. All right, man. Start eating good and yep. get ready to take some fucking bumps. And I have always given people. I will always. I don't. If I look at somebody 
I don't pass judgment at first. I give them the advice they need to hear and I see if they listen to what I have to say. And then if you, I can tell within two weeks, whether you're listening to me or not. And if you're not fucking listening to me, guess what? We're not friends anymore because (laughs) I told you exactly what you needed to do. Right. On a professional level. In order to not only that, but on a personal level, because do you want to live a healthy fucking life? Right. Do you want to be able to see your children? If you have children grow up, do you want to be around to be there for your significant other in a hard time? Or do you just want to fucking eat Big Macs? You know, Mm, Big Macs. Just kidding. They're fucking disgusting at this point. And by the way, not worth the $5 they charge. Fuck you, McDonald's. That's right. Hey, on the subject of David Arquette, see how I segue? Yes, sir. Good way. (laughs) Good way, sir. On the subject of David Arquette, what would you say was more damning to the history of WCW, and specifically WCW in the end? David Arquette winning the World Heavyweight Championship... Or Kevin Nash's booking <laughs> when he took over the pencil. So let's let's look at Kevin our our Dave because today's episode. Yeah. Look, I, yeah. I, we had planned to talk exclusively about uh, WCW, but if a conversation is going, I don't stop it. Finger poke of doom hurt the business more than David Arquette winning the heavyweight champ- championship, in my opinion. You know what's funny though. A lot of people point to that and go like, oh, terrible. And it's like, uh, to me, I always thought like I've seen a million fucking goofy variations of this. Yes. Yep. It may not be a finger poke. You know, it. and what I'm getting at is it was part of a storyline. Like, here's the main event, but they utilize this particular segment to forward a storyline. And the storyline was that they were then going to piece piece back together this uh, once super badass group in an effort to give uh, Goldberg a series of guys to beat up upon. Yep. Um, I mean, that was it. I was not bothered when I saw it. But when I hear people talk about it just maybe five years after and ever since then, it's like, this is the worst thing that's happened to the industry. It's like, how many times do you watch raw for me, and you see yeah. fucking schmas endings to shit, even in the main event. But the, the, for me, I think the thing that was insulting about it was the fact that it felt like the backstage politics was spinning out into inside of wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. And I understand that um, sometimes like, look at the pipe bomb promo from punk. Sometimes the cell is a shoot quotation fingers, right? right? The cell is the shoot. And I feel like that was one of those situations. It just seemed tacky. It seemed tacky. David Arquette ready to rumble was a film that they were trying to push. Did you want, you must've watched. Oh, uh, absolutely. My mom, what'd you think when I, at the time that it came out, I thought it was amazing. My mom took me to go see it in theaters. I ate popcorn. It was a happy day. Yeah. Right. It wasn't a bad movie. No. A little silly. Uh, well, it was really silly. So the idea that Oliver Platt would be a, a wrestler or, is laughable. I at will best. rule you. So <laughs> there, and, but so I can understand that man. Now, granted, did they give him like a year long run? No, right. They just put him in a few situations, man. And for the credibility of the title. Yeah. I can see the argument. Right. But then you had 
when Kevin Nash got in power at WCW, you could tell that it was like, okay, well, this is my show now. I'm going to do what I want to do. And just because you think you have a good idea does not necessarily mean that it's going to transpire into good television. Not to mention that the, like, shoot interviews that came out later on of, like, people being called vanilla midgets and things of that nature. You know, like, it... All those things aside, by the way, I want to declare here and now, you know, he was called Big Daddy Cool forever. Yeah. He is a cool motherfucker. He's cool. Bro, and he's got that silver locks going. It's like, bro, I could suck this fucking guy's dick right now. So, uh, Kevin Nash. I, he's a cool yeah, motherfucker. I, I, had, I had the opportunity to meet Kevin Nash, and he did a show for Future Stars of Wrestling that was actually in Mesquite. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was backstage, and I was so embarrassed uh, for any young wrestlers in the industry listening to this. If you were sharing a locker room with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that last episode I talked about getting a picture with Liger. I wasn't on that show. I wasn't in that locker room. And he was more than happy to oblige. I came to him as a fan. Right. Right. But if I'm in a professional setting, if I was, and I've been in a locker room with Yushin Liger after that, I didn't ask him for a picture then. Right. So people were asking to take fucking pictures of Kevin Nash. I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. Yada, you mean yada, yada. workers? Workers, yeah. Backstage. I was like, dude. So act like you've been there before. Yes. So I end up going up to him as he's putting on his wrist tape. And I'm like, listen, man, like everyone's bothering you, dude. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Cody. It's really cool to have you here. And then he is like, yeah, man, you're kind of fucking bothering me right now. And, <laughs> and he kind of said it like in a joking manner. That's and funny. then I'm just like, oh man. Okay. Well, and I turned around to like, excuse myself from the awkward introduction. And he's like, no, 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 kid, come back over here. You want to know what movie I really love? Scarface. Scarface. Anytime I see Scarface, even if it's on a network that has it censored, I will watch that thing from front to back. Even if it's in the middle of it, I'll just sit and watch the rest of it. I love that movie. Ooh, this is a, it sounds like a test. What was your response? I'm just like, yeah, Scarface was really good, but he, by the way, it's not, it's not yeah. a great movie. I'm dude. It's, I'm it's disagree- a ridiculous yeah. movie. I'm just agreeing with him. And he, I suppose it's a fun watch. Sorry, I'm going to stick yeah. to Scarface for a minute. He was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Like after that, man. And that thing is, is that also taking consideration the person that he was when he was at his peak of popularity in WCW. Right. As opposed to the person who he was when I had that conversation with him. Right. I'm sure that if it was during the WCW years, that conversation wouldn't have happened. It's nice to be loved in Huntsville. I'm going to try. I'm going to try the best I can to wipe this smile off my face. Because I know for a matter of fact Within the next hour and a half, Kevin Nash is going to be $1.5 million richer. Oh, really? What does he mean by that? Stay tuned, TV land. I've got a little tricks up my sleeve. And I'll guarantee you tonight, the Giants going to snap. 
Well, Tony the Giant always claimed that he was a very patient man. Sure did. And well. the Giant wants me worse than a lap dance after 20 years at sea. And if you've been watching the show lately, one thing for sure, the Giants definitely had a little bit too much coffee. Yeah, referencing the hot coffee that he threw into the Giants' face. Twice now, fans. Now, a lot of people think that Kevin Nash has some kind of, uh, I don't know, fear of the Giants. Well, he's sadly mistaken if he's out there thinking that right now. There's two kind of tortures in this world. There's physical torture, which he'll receive Saturday, and there's psychological torture, which he has received the last couple of weeks, courtesy of me, the guy that's just too Well, maybe you're right. Yeah, they probably I mean, look, he and Scott Hall were notorious uh, shit starters. Yes. We'll we'll put it that way. Yes. I mean, these motherfuckers, there's something. Here's another interesting conversation to have. You know, um, there's a lot of people who, you know, they say that having an ego is bad. Yeah. But they also don't talk about all the good things that come with ego, like ambition, drive, the 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 will to want to succeed and be the top. You know, there's something to be said. You know, they had a, uh, the two of those guys had a lot of criticism for uh, Bret Hart, who Bret Hart wanted to be the shoot champion. Yep. Um, but was reluctant to, you know, they would push him like, you need to go ask Vince for more money so you can get championship style money. Yep. And Brett was more, and by the way, I'm just parlaying third hand uh, commentary here. It's all available to find. Like you can just go on YouTube and find this. Yeah, shit. but uh, but Brett was more than happy to just be champion with with without being you know earning millions of dollars for it. Right, and having the title and having a legacy was more important to him. Whereas these guys. Uh, we're very much in it for the money. They and, wanted to be millionaires. Uh, well, yeah. hey man, look what that shit does to your body. Yeah. Kevin Nash blew out his knees in basketball, then got into wrestling. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's a shelf life for that particular guy. Yeah. You see how he walks now. Christ at that WrestleMania, what was it? 34, 35. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was struggling to get down that ramp. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I think that also co- coincides along with the fact of just how big he is, you know? Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, well, look, he was 300 pounds and seven yeah. feet tall. That's a lot of weight to be carrying around. At the end of the day, you're going to have some people that are going to be uh, driven by principle. Right. And Bret Hart was driven by principle. He was a man of great integrity and that's great. But this is and, and this is something I have to remind myself of, even if, within the things that I do out, outside of wrestling, is that it's also a business. Yes. And I need to learn to be a little bit better about that, too, man, because I have been 
on the brunt of people who don't have the most integrity right and that do have the mindset of oh no man this is a way to make money right and yeah i think that i feel like you can find a way to do both oh yeah there there absolutely is a happy medium and it really needs to it needs to be engaged this is a business and if it isn't drawing things need to be uh turned around because yes. if it doesn't draw it doesn't make money and if it doesn't make money it will go away no matter how great the art side of it is absolutely that's uh you know you can have all the integrity in the world but if you're broke you don't matter right and i mean like look at how many professional mimes are in the world you know, <laughs> I don't like, know how many, <laughs> not many, you know, like, and if they yeah, are, they're all buskers. Yeah, I don't know that there's professionals anymore. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is that it became a dead art form. Yeah. And I think that wrestling, let's knock on wood and hope that it never goes away because it's oh, my particle board over there. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Thank you for doing that for me. Um, <clears throat> I just really firmly believe though, that you're going to have some people, man, that, and also status affects some people in different ways. And I think that Kevin Nash's status at that period of time um, was I'm 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 very big in killing your ego. Yeah. Like I'm not an ego driven guy, but I'm very motivated. Right. Like I'm motivated in different ways and not everybody has that same motivation. But if you are, are you saying that you don't have an ego or you have a minimal ego? Is that what you're getting at? I try to, I try to, I try to make terms but you with do what my ego is and I try to kill it. Right. I try to stay humble. I try to, right. I but try you do to, understand that you have one. Yes. Every, it, I think at every, at one point everyone does, but sure. For instance, but it's not completely unhealthy. It's not completely unhealthy. However, I do think that there are some very toxic caveats that come along with it. Without question. But it, at the same time, when you look at the biggest stars in the history of the industry, uh, yeah. we'll say, we'll just say going back to Hulk Hogan. In, yeah, absolutely. Every single one of these motherfuckers were go wanted to be on top and would not stop yeah. until it, they got there. And by God, they got there. And they got there, but, and but then at the you, expense of used, what? Well, right. Well, you and, used, uh, and who? Well, it created that toxic backstage shark in the water yeah, sort man. of environment that a lot of, you know, that, as I understand it, doesn't exist in AEW. They just want to have a locker room with good brothers. And it's starting to not exist in the industry. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm, I'm saying. At the same time, who's a star? Right. And uh, I, okay. I'll you see give you what that. I mean. Who's a star? Right. Because you, Hey, look, every company should have a couple yeah. of people who are like, I want to get to the top and they will do everything. They will, they'll lift the weights. They'll eat the food. They'll fucking, they'll do the work. They'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. And why hold that motherfucker back? Just cause he wants to get there. Well, if he sells tickets. Right. And I, I am one of those people that wants to get there and right. I'm lifting the weights and eating the food. And then I am just, also, you're not an asshole. I'm not exact. It depends on unless you give me a reason to be, you know, well, if you deserve it, you deserve it. Absolutely. Right. And like, that's once again, it goes back into the Hogan was notoriously known to where like, I can't lose this match. Like look at Scar Starcade 97. Yeah. Uh, Hogan and sting, like the biggest build in like the history of WCW, you know, <laughs> couldn't even end in a decisive fucking finish. Uh, can I say quickly on Hulk Hogan? I know that uh, obviously he said some very 
irreputable things about uh, people of color. Ooh, yeah. Uh, not the best a, idea. You cannot stick up for that. No. Uh, I would I would argue, though, his uh, personal opinions of who his daughter dates aside uh, in the privacy of uh, what he thought was his own friend's home, I think takes a backseat to his complete stranglehold on the main event of his entire run at WCW yeah. in the face of some very impressive up and coming talent in the, in the, uh, the way of Chris Jericho, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Having said that now that we've had enough time, uh, I, if I were to compose a list of greatest baby faces of all time, Hogan makes that list without question. Hogan. Hold like, on. Second okay. thought. Yeah. If I were to make a greatest heel of all time list, he also makes the top of the card. Absolutely. That guy, I mean, they had to break the NWO in two because people would cheer for Kevin Hall, Kevin, Kevin Nash. Nash and Scott Hall. Thank you. And they would boo the shit out of Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I, he was a rotten piece of shit. Yeah. And you like, it's the uh, Heath Ledger Joker line. You are not Heath Ledger, but the line in Batman uh, begins. Like you can stay, you can stick around long enough to be a hero or stay too long and be a villain. Well, Dark Knight, I, whatever. Right. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But uh, boy, he had all the tools to be a great heel. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. Bro. I mean. Just His, if you go back and look at that Hollywood Hogan period, if you completely disengage from the backstage politics that, you know, you read in Wow magazine and all this. It was great stuff, TV. Right. He was every week. He'd be like, well, someone fucking kill this guy. And like, look at I remember being a young fan. One of the most frustrating things about Hogan's run as a heel in the NWO is like America's always taken more precedence over how many days you're the champion as opposed oh, to so how brought... many title defenses you've had as the champion. I'm so glad you brought this up because yeah. it's become a, not a buzz word, but a buzz phrase days as champion, because I, I see it all the time in our collective Instagram feed of yes. uh, so-and-so has been champion for a hundred days. And you're supposed to go, wow, that's a lot. Was that fucking three months? Yeah. Who gives a shit? And exactly. meanwhile, in Japan, he defended the title 12 times. Ooh, shit. If you've been champion for a hundred days, you've probably defended the championship once if that, yeah, I can't stand this fucking keeping track. In fact, going back to CM Punk, yep, CM Punk had one of the best promos that I've ever heard when he was the heel champion, mm -hmm. uh, before he lost it to The Rock. Yep, when he's out there with Paul Heyman and he's got like a little chart showing the how long has so and so been champion, and up towards the top is you know Bruno and all this shit, and he says. <laughs> He goes, Bruno San Martino was championship, a champion for eight years. He wrestled once a month in Madison Square Garden. If I wrestled that much, I would be championed for 40 fucking years. And yep. it's like, that's right. Yeah, man. That's right. Because he defends the title four times a week on the road. Yep. And, you know, and fucking and, brilliant. And that's the thing, too, though, is that you have anytime I saw Hogan on screen with the big gold title with the NWO spray painted over it. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could think was this motherfucker has not defended this belt 
at all. He is an undeserving champion. Mm. And I, like when I was that stage and you were very young at this time. Yeah. My wrestling fandom, I hated, hated Hulk Hogan. Mm. Sting was my superhero. Because obviously goth imagery, which I'm right. fucking still into. I'm wearing a fucking Dracula shirt right now. You know, <laughs> yeah, fucking, crow sting. Yeah, he was cr- morose. Yes, crow sting was one of my favorite things in the world. And so, as far as there was some really good things that WCW did do, but I ultimately feel like ego ate that company when people that had a big ego got into the top of decision making and you also had vince russo who had a huge ego because of look at the popularity of the attitude era like vince russo was smart and replicating what was popular at the time and what was popular at the time during the attitude era was fucking trash TV, right? Jerry Springer, Maury Povich. You were not the father. My sister turns out to be a transvestite that I'm in a relationship with that has given birth to a hand like that. That was what was popular in television at the time. And I'm so thankful that that's not what is popular in television anymore because right. I don't even think honestly, I, and we've talked about this before. I never tuned in to Monday Night Raw to see any of that shit. I tuned in to see Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. s- uh, stomp someone to death in the corner. Yeah. And he- uh, period, by the way. And then eventually I tuned in to see The Rock cut promos. or And then it, t- it turned into I tuned in to see Cactus Jack... Uh, do whatever it was he was going to do that week. Yeah, man. The Triple H feud with Cactus Jack. I remember the pile driver on the table through on the entrance ramp. That was even early Cactus Jack. I loved right before he, you know, supposedly lost his, you know, loser leaves town retirement match. Mm -hmm. That fucking, what was it? uh, 2000 Royal Rumble, the street fight with Triple H. Woo! Man, man. one of the best matches I've ever seen. Absolutely. And big ups to fucking Triple H who essentially gets stabbed by a, 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 a piece of the wood yep. on the pallet that he gets uh, suplexed on. Yeah, man. And that's the thing is that I, I admittedly, I always kind of turned off the main events. That's wild to me. Yeah. I turned off what, the main events. The, on Monday Night Raw? And, during the Attitude and, Era? Yeah, on Raw and Nitro. Because I never cared. Well, you wanted to watch uh, the the cruiserweight. Yes. I. But on WWE, the opposite was true. In WCW... The hardcore fans who we'll say ended up being wrestlers like you and Daniel Bryan would mm-hmm. watch the cruiserweights and not give a fuck about Piper and Macho Man and all that stuff. Right. I understand that. I don't agree with it. On W on WWF at the time, the exact opposite was true. The undercard of WWF was all that trash TV horseshit, right. and their main events were fucking fantastic. Well, and I was also more drawn to WCW, though. Oh, well, okay, like, fair and, enough. But now, being able... I, they're, they're just always felt like something... Like, I was never a fan of The Rock. Right. Right? Because... And now, it's a different day and age now. I still don't necessarily... Like, he was an insult comic. Right. Right? Like, Rocky was an insult comic. And to me, it just always kind of felt like you're diminishing the value of people like the Booker T situation, like the who are you mouthing that during the invasion angle, I think set the entire tone 
for what was to become of the acquisition Bro. of WCW by <sighs> WWE. Sorry, I let off a B-bomb there. I don't like saying bro, because I don't like sounding like Kevin Russo. Vince Russo. Vince Russo. Sorry. There's I'm... Kevins, there's Scotts, there's Vince's. I knew... <laughs> there's Nash's, there's Hall, there's Russo's. Four months ago, I had a neck injury. Subsequently, I lost the feeling in my hand, my left hand. The significance of that, that's a hand I open beer with. But you know something? I willed myself back from that injury. I got in the gym. I didn't do anything. I walked around, but I got to the gym. And you know what? I, I started to come back. But about a week ago, I went to the neighborhood bar. I bellied up against the bar like only I can. And a fat broad, that's right, a fat broad, came up and smacked me in the back and sent a chill down me. Same fat broads have been following the horsemen for 20 years. But as I looked at that long neck laying on that cheap industrial grade carpentry, I said to myself, how ironic. Now it wasn't so much the fact that I was out $3.75. What it was to me was sand ticking down through the hourglass and everybody knows, so are the days of our lives. You know, one thing you could say when Arn Anderson was coming to town, besides the fact that I left a lot of unpaid bar tabs, was Arn Anderson was coming to town. And you knew if I was on the card, I was going to give you 100%, no matter how drunk, how hungover I was, I was going to give you all I had. And back in those days before the NWO, you eight people that bought those tickets got one heck of a show. But you know what? As I come out here tonight, I ask you people, don't remember how I used to be. Remember me how I look right now. We've reached the lowest point Good ever Mongo. On, this, on this program. Wait, what were you just talking about? That I, I was just going on about how I immediately knew that the WCW-WWF feud was bombed the second that Rock mouthed, who are you, in oh, front yeah, yeah. So that was of what Booker I was T. The idea that Booker T was just some jabroni walking in there is ludicrous. Yeah. Booker T was pretty badass for a great number of years. Yeah. In Harlem Heat, and then breaking off on his own was pretty fantastic, too. Yep. To be treated like how he was treated, and to be kind of diminished. You know, he seems to be sort of happy with his lot when he got there in retrospect, but his slow 
eking in. He got treated like how Chris Jericho got treated. You're just a guy from another company and you're just garbage here until you put in enough time. And as if all the time that he put in elsewhere doesn't matter. Bullshit. Right. Fucking Booker T walked into that place already a legend as far as I was concerned. Absolutely. And look at Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page. (laughs) Man. dude. Diamond Dallas Page at one time was... Uh, the, it, between he and Steve Austin was one of the biggest stars in the industry. People's champ, like yes. going in, going through the crowd with taped ribs. Yeah, you know, holding up the diamond cutter. Sign. The only person to to fight back uh, initially against the NWO. Yeah, you know, he was the guy. And he became fucking huge despite the fact that he came out to that ridiculous Nirvana. Fucking mm-hmm. rip-off song. Self, Self high, high five. five. Self high five. The, the, the very first wrestling shirt that I ever owned was a Diamond Dallas Page shirt. So funny. Yeah. By the way, uh, one of the I'd put him as number three in uh, uh, a list of guys with uh, uh, a lot of talent, worst head of hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, right behind Kenny Omega and Nigel McGinnis. Um, but yeah, DDP was fucking huge. Yeah. And when he came to the uh, WWE, I mean, it, it was almost as if. There, they did it on purpose. It was so petty. And look, we know that Vince McMahon and the WWE are not against being petty. We've seen that a lot in history. To me, it goes back to the topic of ego and ego eats itself, man. Like, I mean, you, they could not, it was just unfortunate, man, because the news when it happened in the simulcast, yeah. The simulcast was one of the most surreal things that I had ever witnessed as a wrestling fan. I remember watching it, and that was the first time ever, because I was not a channel flipper like you were, or yeah. in your case, have two TVs set up or yep. any of that shit. I watched WCW basically from the moment the outsiders started showing up, because I took a, a, a huge chunk of time because I thought the business had and really the gone I, to shit. The, I, the, the whole entire outsiders coming was amazing. It was great television from week to week, and it was must-see TV. When Hogan joined, whoa. Yep. I mean, they were white hot. Every time they'd come to the ring, they'd be pelted with garbage. I mean, I would, if I were a wrestler today, I would be begging for that kind of heat if I were a heel. Um... And I didn't switch until WrestleMania 15, I think it was, when Stone Cold won the title. I think Against maybe Michaels. I, yeah, yeah. I think I flipped back and forth a little bit in that time frame. But once Stone Cold won the title, it was all WWE from there because WCW at that point was already starting. They were well past starting to go downhill. Yeah. And I did not watch WCW at all until that simulcast. Because I read the reports of what was going on over there, and it was straight garbage. Yep. And that's the unfortunate thing is, is that uh, once again, and look at it, it, I, I understand. And I've had people tell me about like how having ego is not a bad thing, man. But I've seen some of the most uh, negative things happen 
from ego. Like, and I... Well, it's toxic. Yeah. But you don't... There's got to be a balance. And that's the that's the important thing, man. I'm very aware of who I am. Yeah. You know, I, I have worked hard. It's not without its benefits. Yeah. So you got to have a balance. Yeah. And my balance is this, is that I'm able to look at my resume. Yeah. And I have some pretty high marks on my resume for myself as far as Future Stars of Wrestling goes. I've had two match of the years. Oh, you love to put yourself over. Oh, absolutely. Don't do it. I'll do it. It's fucking egomaniacal when you do it. He's had two matches of the years, and they are pretty good. I've seen them. Yeah, man. Sorry. My reputation as a trainer is only growing. His reputation as a trainer is growing. Yep. And (laughs) are are you sure it doesn't sound worse when you say it? I'm putting you over, brother, brother. It's terrible when you do it. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, I'm comfortable saying these things. He's comfortable saying these things. Because (laughs) I've worked really hard to earn these things that have happened in my life. Fair enough. But even then, some people won't understand. They'll be like, this cutthroat Cody Hancock, he thinks his shit doesn't stink. And they doesn't stop talking about how good of a traitor he is. Yeah. And despite the fact that it's probably really true. Yeah. And but I went my whole entire life without ever standing up and saying anything about myself. Yeah. And I've learned something through these people with their ego. Yeah. And the difference between me and them, I hope, is the semblance of being humble. Yes. I am thankful for the things that I have been able to achieve and I want to achieve more. And unfortunately in professional wrestling, you do, you you do need to be even extra humble because their concept of respect is a little hypersensitive and over the top. Oh yeah, it is. He disrespected me. Now we have heat. Every time I hear the word heat, my mind immediately goes to eighth grade. He said something bad about me. Oh, it's oh, like, it's, yeah. this is pathetic childlike behavior. Yep. I got heat, brother. Yep. What did you do? Did you piss five feet from him when you were in urinals together? Ooh, heat. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate because once again, this also comes from a place of fragile egos. Yeah. And another thing. Funny is, thing about artists. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. You go ahead. Artists in general, I find uh, are overly confident and wildly insecure at the very same time. Which they're fucking, the, yeah. They're the only people who, you know, the creatively minded people who will tell you, I, I'm the greatest at whatever, you know, when I was in a band, I would brag to whoever would listen, I'm in a fucking rad rock band. But the minute I got off stage, I the first person I talked to, I'd go, how was that? Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's across the board with any artistic endeavor, I find. People are overly confident and wildly insecure at the same time. Pretty wild. Uh, the self-destruction of Ultimate Warrior pins that picture pretty well for those that are watching Dark Sides of the Ring. Uh, but it's unfortunate, man, because I really do feel like status also affects people. Um, I feel like when people get of a certain status yeah, and I always try to keep myself very level mm-hmm. when I'm talking to the wrestling students and things like that. And I just, there was a, 
there was a gentleman who uh, is a referee that's also trained to become a wrestler. His name is Cody Andrews, and he's really, really good. And he had come back to training after having to take some time away, and he was away for about six months. And I put him in the ring with a match, and I'm like, hey, okay, let's go get it. And he did not perform the way that he wanted to. Right. And he kept on apologizing for it. I'm like, dude, this is where you fuck up. It, you fuck up in training. That's what it's here for. Right. And I stayed after him class a little bit just to talk to him. And he just couldn't let this go. And then eventually I'm like, why, why do you keep on harboring on this thing that is just bothering you so much when it's not bothering me? I'm not yelling at you. Right. You know, I didn't yell at you and tell you that you fucked everything up, man. You were in a situation to where somebody had to take care of you. They were able to do it. And if it was in front of a live crowd, nobody would have known. Yeah. If you're sorry, uh, uh beat yourself up. No yep. reason to keep apologizing to everybody if they're not offended at stuff. But what he told me is like, well, I hold myself to a higher standard. That's good. And I said, well, I appreciate that. Do you see me reacting that way when I fuck something up? Right. And I used to be that way. But when I fuck something up now, I kind of laugh about it. I'm like, that, that was me. Hey, man, we're fallible. Uh, we make mistakes. That's the greatest part about human beings. Once again, going back to music, I have a hard time listening to a lot of modern computer oriented music because it lacks humans in it so there's no so element of of human error you're not gonna like spend like your mortgage on getting the three-day passes for edc is what you're telling me a hard pass <laughs> <laughs> can't blame you hey what do you think about how wcw came to an end uh i wish it this is oh i should not... ask you first sorry yeah were you watching towards the end? Because I yes. did, I found it unwatchable. I watched everything. That's like, fucking nuts yeah, to me. I watched everything. I, I thought that Sean O'Hare had a lot of potential. Sure. Um, I thought that uh, seeing Booker he, T finally get put in a position of being respected as the head of the company mm. was great. I really... Too little too late, unfortunately. Too little too late. Uh, I felt like Jeff Jared served his role as a heel yeah. very well. What'd you think of Scott Steiner and his math? Uh, oh my. So <laughs> Scott Steiner, man, it, Scott Steiner, I think is probably one of the biggest tragedies in the world of wrestling. Cause if you go back and if you look at Scott Steiner and his body of work, when he was in the Steiner brothers, yeah. Pretty and, bleach blonde, short crop Caesar style haircut. Yes. They were one of the most feared tag teams ever. And his NWO body of work, it's like, this guy is fucking wildly out of control. So not only <laughs> was he... an insane person. And it, it, it's funny to actually go back and listen to. Yeah. But well, yeah, it's funny to go back and hear his promos. It's They're laughable at best. And, you know, just the... the big I, bad booty daddy. daddy. <laughs> oh, my freak of leaks. <laughs> what a key to my room. Like, and... Yeah, bro, he, he came off like a serious, like... Uh, sex predator <laughs> and i'm and unfortunately man like i really do feel like unfortunately something happened to him and what was once great became just one of these people that you he was a he was a loose cannon like very yeah. very similar to a brian pillman yeah and it it was a shame because he had put on so much mass that he was almost immobile 
Yeah. So he needed a stick with a rag on the end of it to keep his keister clean. All, I'm making that up, by the way, as a joke. Yeah. All all the things that he was notoriously known for became secondary. You know, like right. somebody who claimed to invent the Hurricane Rana and right. the yeah, Steiner that's... screwdriver and <laughs> the yeah this. Is... He in- innovated a bunch of stuff. He, you, uh, for, uh, that's funny. You bring it up. I completely forgot it. Because you forgot it because everyone He's, only remembers because the he bad was, shit. Because he was crazy for yes. seemingly a decade. Yes. And I mean, I'm sure that he's still crazy now. A uh, shout out to my good buddy, Darren Corbin, who actually had the opportunity to wrestle Scott Steiner oh in one of his first God. matches back in the independent wrestling scene. Um I got to ask him how that went, but that's, that's an unfortunate thing, man. So you saw, there was a lot of positive that I think did come out of the end of WCW, but like you said, it all did feel like too little too late. And I think that towards the end of WCW, like the cruiserweight division was, um, really kind of getting ready to see a new breakout with like teams like the young dragons and three count and Dude, Three Count had a pretty good gimmick. Yes. Look, boy bands are fucking stupid. Yeah. And these guys did a pretty good job at it. And uh, my favorite is that they would, they'd start their mat before they do the match, before the bell rings, they'd do like, hey, we're going to do our song and dance for you. Yep. And then, uh, uh, as in general, the someone would storm the ring and they would be cut short. They wouldn't be able to do it. Yep. And then whenever they would win or lose... <laughs> When they were all beat up, they would go, we're going to do that dance now. And they would all be doubled over yes. and trying to do the dance. And so funny. So they're like, we can't like just pass it all off as shit, man. There was some good stuff, <sighs> bro. It's yeah. easy. It, there was a lot that was bad, man, but there was some good stuff. There really was. And yeah, I, but do you, uh, you may be more forgiving than me. If there is, uh, let's be generous. 25% of a show that is good. I'm not watching that show Yeah, because I'm not going to suffer 75% of the time. Right. And for me, like I wasn't really overly concerned with promo segments. I wasn't overly concerned with storylines, man. I just like to watch good wrestling and every now and again, there were some really good matches. Oh yeah. And well, yeah, sure. that, that for me is what has always kept me plugged into wrestling is that I watch wrestling for wrestling matches. And to me, that's always been the actual core of what professional wrestling should be. It should be based around the matches. I I view it as the illusion of competition. The most important thing is the match. Everything else is window dressing. I want to have the main course. The main course will always be wrestling for me. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by TJ Fogarty and Cody Hancock with music and web production by Timothy Stiles. If you're interested in booking or information on Cutthroat Cody, please go to cutthroatcody.com and follow us on Instagram at Turnbuckle Boogie. See you next Monday.